Good morning, Soul City Church. My name is Drake. Uh, I'm one of the college pastors around here, so if I haven't met you yet, would love to say hi. Come up and introduce yourself. So we are continuing uh, a series that we've been on called We Are the Church, where we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, looking at the beauty that the Scripture holds for the church. And honestly, like during this season of Thanksgiving, which I hope all of you had a happy Thanksgiving, uh, during this season, and as we've been walking through this book, when I think of, man, what are all the things in my life that I'm thankful for? Like this family quickly comes to mind. Like what an amazing thing that all of us get to be a part of, that we get to gather every single week, that we get to have other people come alongside us, that we get to learn what it looks like to love Jesus more together. And so we are actually going to continue to look at that. So if you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians 4. We're going to continue to see God's heart for the church. Uh, But before we do that, I want to share with you kind of a slightly bummer situation that happened recently in our home, okay? So I started learning how to play the piano. That's that's not the bummer thing, maybe for Paige, but I started learning how to play the piano. And what I mean by that is I've learned the intro to one song. So Paige has heard that many a times. Uh, And the bummer thing, though, is I don't want to name names, but... Page spilled kombucha on the piano, all right? And so now, this is an electronic digital piano, may I mind you. So if you, you know, don't know this, liquids, electronics, don't go well together. Uh, and so what has happened is that now six keys on the piano just straight up don't work, all right? So you're, you're going along playing, and you just get nothing. And so what I've realized is that you experience, on one hand, you experience, okay, the lack of that note, But you also realize as you continue to play other notes, like those notes were meant to be paired with the ones that no longer work. Like you were meant to have all the keys on a piano in order to beautifully play a song. And here is what we're going to learn in the text this morning, is that if we want to see this church become all that God has called it to be, every single person that's in Christ needs to be involved. Every single person that's in Christ is a vital member to this family. And I think that we actually understand this. Like we know that, okay, I I need to be vitally connected. I need to be involved in this church family. Like we've heard some beautiful things about the church throughout this series. That the church is the place that the manifold wisdom of God was going to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Like some beautiful truths of what the church is. And we know, man, this is a place I want to give my life to. And so I don't think the question for us is if we should be involved, but how? Like how do I, with the wirings that I have, the giftings that I have, How do I contribute to what is happening here at Salt City Church? Like, I feel like I I don't have some of these other giftings. So who am I in the midst of all these other people? How do I make an impact for the kingdom in the midst of this family? And so let's look at Paul's words to the Ephesians, because he's going to hit directly on that. Starting in verse 7, reading through 8. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Okay, so there's some confusing language within that, but I want to focus in on that first sentence where it says, but grace was given to each one of us. And we've seen throughout this book that that word but being used as a contrasting statement in multiple chapters throughout this. And so I actually want to look at the text right before this that Jordan went over last week for us to look at that further. So in verse 4 through 5, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so right away we see that Paul is laying out this beautiful unity that can exist, that, that does exist within the church of Christ. That we have one Lord, we have one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That that is what we are united under. And so what we're going to see next is that where there is this profound unity, that doesn't mean a uniformity. This unity is also held while at the same time there's a beautiful diversity that plays itself out in this church. That there is great unity, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we see this transition from this broad truth that we all rest under to a little bit more specific to each and every one of us that are in Christ. That there's a diversity and what types of gifts are given to each one of us, but there's also a diversity in the measure of those gifts. So you see that word, that the word measure is used, that there's a different measure that might be extended to each one of us. So there's a diversity to all these different gifts that are given. And so this grace that we see in this part is not speaking to this grace that saves that we've seen throughout the book of Ephesians, but it's actually this grace that enables you to walk out of the spiritual gifts that God has given you. It's a grace that he empowers you to care for his people. And so while we focus on this idea of spiritual gifts, I actually wanted to give a very simple definition of what spiritual gifts is when we look at this text. Because I think when we hear this phrase, okay, we can get all up in the clouds of what does this even mean, and we can get really confused. But when we look at this text, I think spiritual gifts would be defined as God's gift that allows us to serve and to build up his church. So God's unique gifts that he gives each and every one of us that allows us to serve and build up his church, that all of us being unified in Christ have received these unique gifts to actually play a part in this church family. But here is the thing that I've seen a lot more taking place in my own life as I've thought about this idea of spiritual gifts. Is that though I might know that God has gifted me in some way, when I look at my own heart, what I'm not focused on is the gifts that I have, but actually the gifts that everyone else has. Like, look at all the other people in this room. Look at the gifts that they have Look how much more those gifts could be used than my own. And as I sit with a lot of amazing people in this room and on our staff team and across the network, I've seen just a lot of incredible gifts that people have that I look at those people and I say, man, I could only be used by God if I was like that. 
God could only use me if I was wired in that way. God couldn't use me in the giftings that I hold right now. And this has been a wrestling of doubt and insecurity that has caused me to come back to truth time and time again to believe that God actually could use that. And it's actually led me to a lot of different avenues as I look at the giftings of other people and I compare myself with other people. It's led me to try to be someone I'm not. Okay, so I see the giftings of other people. I'm like, man, in order to be used by God, I have to have that gifting. So I'm going to try really hard to do everything I can to be more like that person. And here's what I found. That is exhausting. It is completely tiring for me to try to act like someone that I'm not. It's led me to be critical of other people's gifts. Well, if I can't have it, maybe I'll just talk it down as if it's not that great of a gift or that mine are somehow greater than the ones that they have. And that's actually led to a false sense of contentment in who I am. It's led me to try to act like it doesn't affect me at all. That, man, yeah, I'm not, I'm not phased by this. This isn't something that's wrestling in my heart and mind. I'm not going to let you in to what's going on in that. And that's actually led to that just building up more and more. And it doesn't actually deal with the issue that's going on in my heart. Have you ever felt any of those things? You look at other people in this church family and say, man, if I was only more like that, then God could use me. If only I was wired as more outgoing like that person. If only I was as creative in thinking about new ideas like them. If only I could articulate the Bible like that person. If only I could care for people more like that person. If only I was as well-read and articulate as that person. If only I was as bold as that person. If only I was more like fill in the blank, then I could be used by God. What is it for you? Because here's the thing I found in my own life, when I start comparing my gifts to those of other people, is that when I compare my gifts that God has given me to other people, it actually cripples me from bringing those very gifts to the table. I actually feel paralyzed from even seeing any value with the gifts that God has granted me, and I withhold those from this family. Instead of seeing this diversity of gifts as a blessing to this church. The diversity leads to more comparison and competition and discontentment. Why is that? Paul goes on in this next sentence that we just read that is somewhat confusing, but I think it's important for us to dive into this to get what he is saying from it. And so in verse 8 it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So very clearly, it's saying, okay, the person who ascended first had to descend to the earth, Right? Like Jesus had to come from heaven, descend to the earth, go to the lowest parts of the earth by going to the cross on our behalf. And that same person rose in victory and ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. That is the authority that he holds. That is the authority of the one that has given you your gifting. 
That is the authority of the one who has wired you the way that you are wired, Christ, who is far above every name that has ever been named or will ever be named. And here is what I needed to remember from this text and how I perceive my giftings. I think a lot of times I've looked at the way that I'm wired and I've just focused in on, okay, my, my giftings and comparing it to others and questioning how God has wired me. But in reality, what I was ultimately questioning was the authority of the one that gave me those giftings. Like I think as we uh, gear up for the Christmas season, um, no one wants to experience this cringeworthy moment, but we see some of the best acting attempts when people open gifts, all right? No one wants to be the person where you have to act like you like the gift, right? Like, oh, this is so nice. And you start over-explaining yourself, like, I love it, like, this is so cool. Like, no one wants to be that person. Why? Because you know that it's not just saying something about the gift, but you know it'll impact the person that gave you that gift. And here's the connection that I lost when I compare my gifts or I feel insecure about my gifts, that I'm not questioning the gifting in and of itself. I'm questioning the authority of the one that gave me that gift. That as I look at the authority that Christ has, I actually don't have the authority to determine if my gifting can be used by God or not. And you don't have the authority to determine if you can be used by God or not. He is the one that grants that in your life. If Christ is the one who gave you your gifting, it cannot be a mistake. If Christ is the one that wired you the way that you're wired, it is a purposeful intent to be used by him. I need to remind myself that I am wired the way that I am, and I'm in the place that I am, Because God intends to use me in that place. Not to show off my giftings, not to show off who I am, but to exalt him. And so for yourself, God has designed you to be the person that you are because he knew that you and the giftings that you have would be a vital part to this family flourishing. That this isn't something that we've earned or deserve these gifts that we have, but they're actually just gifts that Christ has given us to serve and to build up his church. And so it forces me to get to the core of the issue where the question isn't, man, why do I have this gift? But God, do I trust that you can actually use me? And so that question then shifts from why do I have this gift to how do I be a good steward of this gift that Christ has given me and empowered me to love this church. And so once we understand the authority of the one who extends gifts to each and every one of us within this church, we realize there has to be significant purpose to those gifts. So let's continue and look back at the text. In verse 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so this section starts off talking about some unique giftings that God has given to the church for unique roles. So it's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then he kind of pairs two names within one with it being shepherds and teachers. And so there's a unique calling to these roles. 
And it clearly states that they are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ. So we have to ask, who are the saints? And throughout this whole series, it has been very evident that when Paul uses the word saint, he's talking about you who have put your faith in Christ, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, that you who once were strangers and aliens are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, that that is who you are now, that when God looks at you, the word that comes to mind is saint. And for some of you, that's what you need to hear more than anything today. Because maybe that's not how you think God is looking at you right now, but he is looking at you. And he is looking at the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And he is looking at you as a saint in his eyes. And so we see that the saints are the ones that those people are trying to equip. So the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are not called to be the ones doing all of the ministry. Actually, they're unique calling in the church is to equip the saints, to equip you for the work of ministry. Here's what we see in this text, that everyone who is in the family of Christ is called to ministry. And the word ministry here is this idea of serving the family of God, that you would use your giftings in such a way to serve and to benefit the people that are in this family with you. And we see the language that's speaking to all of us throughout this entire passage. So we see words like each one, every, each part, the whole body. And so everyone in this family, if you put your faith in Christ, are to bring your gifts to the table to serve and to build up Salt City Church. Okay, so we've been talking about the word uh, gifting for a while now, and some of you are like, well, I have no idea what mine are. How, how do I bring those to the table? And so I honestly just want to kick it off with just a couple questions for you to even process. And for some of you, even as you process, you might be like, man, I don't, I don't know the ways that God has gifted me to care for other people. And so I want to invite you to ask people who are close to you. Ask your spouse. Ask people in your connection group. Ask your roommate. Like, ask people that God has placed around you to just ask, man, how have you seen me naturally care for other people. And so the question I want you to ask is how are you naturally inclined to care for other people? And I think sometimes we feel weird like saying what we're gifted in because we think it's some prideful statement to have, but I actually want to encourage you like that. That isn't a prideful thing to ponder because you're ultimately giving thanks to the one who has given you that gift, that God would be so gracious to grant you with this specific way to care for people. And so when I reflect on my own life, I see a couple different things that come to mind for myself. And one of them is that my wife and I uh, really love just having people over and opening up our home to not just be an oasis for our family, but actually for other people that they could come in and feel loved by sitting around our table. I, I have a desire to, to kind of see new people and actually welcome them in to community. Like, that that would be a desire that they would, cre- they would find community, that could create community for other people. I, I love sitting down with people across the table, processing what's going on in their life, asking questions, being present, and just helping them further understand the very things that are, that are hard or going amazing within their own life. And so what is it for you? 
Like, are you someone who loves to serve others with your time? Babysitting. I heard that's a really cool thing to do. People should do it. Um, moving. <laughs> Setting up here on a Sunday. Like, this stage needs to be set up. Are you someone that you just love to not be the person in the spotlight, but you just actually want to serve other people with your time? Are you someone who is great at recognizing the strengths of others? Because where this could be a means of comparison, where you're just constantly seeing the strengths of other people, you could also be literally the best encourager that Salt City has. Because you're recognizing all these different strengths and you just want to let people know how God has gifted them. Are you someone who asks really good questions? And maybe you've been holding back in connection group, but you actually should bring your questions to the table. Are you someone who brings life and fun to a group? Are you someone that speaks truth boldly into the lives of other people? And maybe you have someone in your life that you need to encourage, like next weekend, that they would get baptized, that they would take that step of obedience to celebrate with one another. Like this is a a very small list that I just went through. And the list goes on and on. But I just want you to think, like, how are you uniquely inclined to care for other people? What brings life and the ways that you enter in with the people that God has surrounded you with. And again, this, this might be welcoming people in to show us, and it might be us just taking the step of obedience to start surrounding ourselves with people that we can invest in and love, and as we do that, those giftings will come to be seen. And so this act of us all choosing to serve with our gifts will lead to an incredible impact in this family. And that's what we see next in the text in verse 13. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So this text is talking about this maturing process that needs to take place in this family. Like Paul is literally saying himself included with the Ephesian church so that we may no longer be children. So he's saying we are like spiritual children that need to mature into who Christ is calling us into. And so Paul is saying that this idea of us investing our lives into this family, us setting aside our own time to care for other people, is actually maturing us in a way that we would be grown from spiritual infants to actually being more and more grounded in who we are and what we believe. That we would be a people that would mature and we would rally around rally more around the faith that we all share in Christ rather than things of this world. A maturing that causes us to cling to the truth of Scripture more than things of this world, more than what's going on in culture, more than the, more than the lies that we might believe our, about ourselves, that we would cling to that truth more and more. There's a maturing that takes place that allows this family to showcase and to look more and more like the beauty of Christ. And here we see the beauty behind just our statement that we say that we need each other. Like when I start bringing my giftings to the table and I start seeing you guys bringing your giftings to the table, I I see, man, I need you in this family. I, I don't have those things. I actually need you to be a part of this family because us all being together actually exalts Christ to a more beautiful way than just me on my own. 
And this is where we see the beauty of a diverse group of giftings and wirings and stories and backgrounds actually creating a more beautiful unity with one another. And isn't that the unity that all of us want in this family? What all of us want to see place. And that, that is the goal, that we would mature to the fullness of who Christ is as a family. And so we have to see the importance of this maturing process to look more like Christ, the importance of it being placed after the call for all of us to serve one another in this family. This maturing that we see in this passage, this maturing doesn't take place if we stand on the sidelines. So at Salt Company, we serve at U.S. Bank where we get to see a lot of great things, monster trucks, George Strait, Viking games, all the things, okay? And so one of the things I love is just observing Viking fans during a game. And you get to see them doing some pretty amazing things, you know? The typical yelling at the ref because they made the bad call, telling the coach who's been a coach his whole life, like, hey, you should have ran this play instead. And a lot of you, you've been there. You know it, okay? The best one, though, is the one person in the sea of people that's kind of like raising his arms trying to silence the whole stadium. Like he's, he thinks he's actually that important to where he could silence the entire stadium, right? He thinks that he is making a huge impact into what is happening on the field. But what's true? There's no impact happening at all. And here's what this text is revealing about us. Like us standing on the sidelines of what God is doing in this family is not going to bring about the maturing process that he wants in this family. That if we are the people that are standing from afar and critiquing everything that's happening, if we are the people that are actually just showing up but actually not jumping in to be connected into this family, we aren't going to experience that maturing to be more like Christ. We see the necessity of community within this passage that's actually us serving alongside one another that grows us to look more like Jesus. I love this quote from a commentary that I read that just said, spiritual growth does not always involve learning something new. Our most important growth often is written in regard to truth we have already, applied, already heard but have not fully applied. Truth that we've already heard but have not fully applied. And so I, wanna, I want us to think through, what does it look like to apply this in our life? And just three simple questions for you to think through and to continue to ponder after you leave this service today. The first one is the one that we've already kind of gone through, and that is, how has God gifted you? The second one is, where does God have you in this season of life? Because I think that's an important aspect into how we can serve this family. Like, are you a college student? Which, I know you think you're busy all the time, but you, you got some free time, right? Uh, if you're a single person, that God is actually using this season of life to bless the church in a unique way, that you, you can actually use this season to be a benefit to the people around you. Are you a new mom, where there's just different expectations there's different demands on your life, and so that's going to look different in this season. What season of life are you in? And then the third question is, how do you leverage the way that you are gifted in the season that God has you in to build up the body of Christ? 
When you look at the different needs in the church around you, how do you utilize the giftings that you have in the season that you're in to build up and to serve the body of Christ? The call to serve and to build up the church is a call on every single believer within this family. Christ has invited us to be the type of people who serve and build up his family. He, he calls us not to see others' gifts as a means of, of competition, but actually as a, a means to celebrate because we see the more beautiful display of Christ. And so this doesn't just speak to what we'll see next in the text is that where this creates a beautiful unity amongst us, when we start celebrating the giftings of others, when we start seeing our need for the giftings of others, it, it creates a unity amongst us, a deep connection amongst us, but it also creates within us a deep com- connection to Christ himself. Let's look at verse 15. It says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we get this idea that we aren't supposed to just grow in unity with one another, but there's actually supposed to be this growth up into who Christ is. That we as a family would be enveloped more and more into the beauty of Christ. That the goal of our affections, the goal of our efforts, the goal of all of our striving for unity would actually be to know and to cherish Christ more. That we would seek with everything in us to strive in every way to look more like Christ with our life. That we would look more like him a year from now than we do currently. And so where we need one another to fully display the giftings that God has given to his church. Ultimately, the source of life for this family is in Christ himself. As he is the head of this family, from where all grace and strength goes for us to even live out this way. Like the confidence that we have that we can live this way is because Christ is the head of this family. That he has welcomed us in, that we are bound to him. That he provides this. And so where the rest of the world is looking for this type of unity... The reason why the church can display is because we are a part of a body that is united to Christ himself. And the beauty in this passage is that Christ in his grace extends us these gifts. He strengthens us to actually live these out. And when we do this, when it says when each part of the body is working properly, so when all of us are choosing to bring our giftings to the table, the result is that this family will be built up in love. That what Salt City will be known by in a culture of division would actually be love. The same love that Christ showcased when he welcomed us into his family, he actually invites us to experience with one another. That we would be a people that would celebrate one another in this family that we would be a people that would see the value that each and every one of us hold and that we can't sit back on the sidelines, but we need to enter in to the ministry that is happening here in this family. And my prayer is that in a year, we would be a more loving people than we are here today. That a year from now, we would be a humbler people, that we would be a more patient people, that we would be more quick to celebrate other people in this family, not always compare or critique 
that we would grow in being slower to speak and quicker to listen, that we would grow in learning what does it look like to speak the truth with a loving posture towards the person that we're speaking to. And by the grace and strength of Christ, if we want this to happen, if we want to see this growth happen, we have to see that all of us play a role in this family, that Christ has placed all of us in this family because we are all vital to him accomplishing what he wants to do, all for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that, man, in the past couple years, I think it's just hit home more and more how thankful I am that you didn't just adopt me by myself, but you've actually adopted me into a family. That in this broken and hard world, we actually get to know what does it look like to strive to be more like you together. That we get to bear one another's burdens. That we get to rejoice with those that rejoice and mourn with those that mourn. But God, the way that we're able to do that together is if we see that, God, you have given us giftings and wirings and you've made us the way that we are to bring about that blessing to this church. And if all of us are doing that with this family, God, we will see love on display. We'll see your beauty on display. We'll see us becoming more like you. And so, God, the question is help us to understand and to trust you. God, even as I prepare this message, I I just need to keep coming back to God. I trust you that you are going to use me in this and that as we leave these doors, the insecurity and the doubt could come back in. Would we come back to you and say, God, I trust you that you can use me for your purposes, that you want to use normal people like all of us in this family in extraordinary ways by your grace and by your strength to make us more like you to showcase what love looks like to a watching world. So God, I pray that we would look less and less at ourselves and more and more at you. Help us to worship you. Help us to celebrate you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.